We are live, but not live. Just having finished day five of the Steve Bannon trial. Lo and behold, less than three hours of deliberation. Guilty on both counts. David Freiheit, Montreal litigator turned YouTuber, Rumbler, content creator at Locals, vivabarneslaw.locals.com, doing the daily recap and analysis exclusively for the post-millennial. Day five, day one, jury selection. Day two, some arguments over motions in limine. And then the prosecution presented its evidence, presented it into Wednesday. After their two witnesses, they closed their case. Steve Bannon does not even present a defense to this case on the basis that he has been stripped of all of his meaningful legal defenses in this case. Executive privilege, invalidity of the committee itself, professional reliance, reliance on Office of Legal Counsel memos on executive privilege. For those of you who have been living under a judicial rock, Steve Bannon, host of The War Room, massively influential conservative public figure, uh, was issued a subpoena by Congress, this January 6th committee that was formed in the wake of the events of January 6th, which, according to some people on the political spectrum, is on par with Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And I've got to say, anybody who makes that comparison is a disgrace and makes a mockery of those two historical atrocities by comparing them to the events of January 6th. January 6th may have been many things, a violent protest, a riot, if you want to call it that, uh, a demonstration that got out of hand. What it was not was an act of domestic terrorism as it was defined as or characterized as in this House Resolution 503, which repeatedly throughout this resolution that created the committee, gave it its powers, referred to the events of January 6th as an act of domestic terrorism. And they repeated the words so many times in the resolution, it became a joke almost, like repeat it over and over again. And maybe at some point, someone will believe it. But unfortunately, people do believe that the events of January 6th were an attack on the very fabric of American society. In the context of this committee, now we know as a result of some evidence and testimony that came out during this trial, although we already knew it, 500 days plus of investigation from this committee, dozens and dozens of subpoenas sent out, thousands of witnesses uh, consulted, heard from, produced documents, testimony. How many days of this congressional hearing live have we been subjected to? I think they're up to six, if not day eight of the broadcast of the uh, committee hearings, prime time during the day, while they are trying to conduct a fair and impartial trial of Steve Bannon, a man who was accused of contempt of Congress for defying, for failing to adhere to, for thumbing his nose at a subpoena issued by Congress. He did not abide by the terms of that subpoena that was issued to him. And we're going to walk through that subpoena because in as much as uh, Steve Bannon is now day five of his trial convicted, we will see what the sentence will be. We'll get to that as well. I don't think a great many people have seen this subpoena to see the wording, the verbiage, the extent of this subpoena, what it sought from Steve Bannon. But bottom line, this subpoena was issued. It was served on Bannon's counsel. Bannon invoked something known as executive privilege, which is privilege granted by the executive government 
so that they don't have to disclose to the legislative branch or the judicial branch uh, confidential uh, dealings of the executive branch. It's necessary, important, constitutionally important for the separation of powers. So neither the executive, the judicial or the legislative have Trump power over the other, that they coexist, but are not governed by another one of the branches of government. Executive privilege is an important concept. Let me just turn off my buzzer here. I think we heard a beep. Executive privilege is an important concept for the separation of powers. And Bannon uh, believed he benefited from executive privilege or, in fact, was granted executive privilege from one former president, Donald J. Trump. Bannon invoked the executive privilege and the congressional committee, the January 6th committee, which has the power to investigate whomever they want and render conclusions on the invocation of executive privilege, said, no, we don't recognize your executive privilege. Please show up to testify by a given date and produce to us the slew of documents we have asked for in the subpoena by another date. Bannon does not comply. They uh, actually mandate they get an FBI investigator to look into this to determine if Bannon will be indicted or if an indictment will be issued. And Bannon is, in fact, indicted on contempt of Congress. We go to this trial. I've called it a kangaroo court uh, kabuki theater show trial, not because I have any vested interest in Steve Bannon. I call it that because... Who the DOJ decides to indict, decides to prosecute, and who they don't uh, might follow some political ideological lines. Not going to drop any names here except for two. They decided to go after Steve Bannon to the fullest extent of the law for contempt of Congress. And it is an exceedingly rare charge to bring against anybody. And I think the last person who was convicted of contempt of Congress was G. Gordon Liddy, or Libby, I always make a mistake on the name, back in Watergate, a man who was already in jail for other reasons, and there might have been a little bit of politics to that situation as well, exceedingly rare charges brought against Steve Bannon. At the same time when, just speaking of another individual who may have played a much more active role in the events of January 6th, one Ray Epps, no charges, was on the FBI's wanted list Discreetly removed, no charges. Bannon is the important target here. Someone who, the day before the events of January 6th, gave a speech, said all hell is going to break loose, a phrase that has been somewhat taken out of context, was not actually there on January 6th itself. And as you will see from the documents that they were seeking from Steve Bannon, to call it a fishing expedition would be the understatement of the year. They go after him with the full extent of the law, and even resulting in a conviction now. Ray Epps, not so much. Other individuals, you know, the son of the sitting president of uh, America, who may have feloniously acquired a firearm and then feloniously disposed of the firearm. No, not important. Steve Bannon is important. And when I call it a kangaroo court kabuki theater of a show trial, it's not the outcome that is the problem. It's the process. Steve Bannon effectively had his legs cut out of him, cut out from under him from day one. He was deprived of raising basically his three defenses, not his only defenses, because they raised some procedural defenses, his three main defenses. One, 
I legitimately invoked executive privilege and or, as a matter of fact, I legitimately thought I benefited from executive privilege. Two, this committee is unlawfully formed in the first place. It's, it's such a disputed fact, actually, that fact checkers have to go fact check it and confirm that now, even though it only has nine members and not 13, as it is required to have, even though it only has nine members, two of which were not uh, named by the Republican Party, but hand selected by Nancy Pelosi herself, even though it doesn't fit the requirements that it shall have and not may have, there's precedent that it's been done in the past. Uh, there's precedent that a, a judge says, look, they may not have followed their own rules, but this is a political thing and not a legal one. So I'm not intervening. They can carry on doing what they're doing. Deprived of making that defense, deprived of professional reliance defense, which may not be so untenable as a matter of law. It's not because you committed a crime on someone else's advice that it's a legitimate defense, but at the very least, you can raise it from time to time in certain contexts, tax law in particular, maybe not in the context of executive privilege or reliance on old um, Office of Legal Counsel memos as relates to executive privilege. It's not the outcome in this trial that's the problem. It's the process. Bannon had his legs cut out from under him on all three of those defenses such that his lawyers asked the judge, look, you've denied him his defenses. Why are we even going to trial? He's got no more defenses. To which the judge, tongue-in-cheek, says, you might want to think about that. They raised some procedural defenses uh, that uh, Bannon was not served with a certain section that needs to be served with the subpoena. It's either a section B or a section 3B. I wasn't able to actually specifically determine what that section is. Having looked at the subpoena now, I suspect the section that was not served on Steve Bannon might have been this section B3B, which probably refers to the penalties for not complying with the subpoena. And so the argument is, if you're going to serve a subpoena on someone, they have to be notified of the potential sanctions or penalties for not complying. And insofar as this subpoena says it ought to be or must be served with this section B and it wasn't deficient service, therefore innocent. Other than that basis of defense, which was raised in, in closing arguments, Bannon didn't raise a defense. They relied only on the fact or the hope that the prosecution did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Bannon is guilty of contempt of Congress, which is willfully disobeying a legitimate, lawful congressional subpoena. Prosecution closing arguments today basically said Bannon is a man who thumbed his nose at the law, thought he's above the law, defied it, publicly defied it, made a mockery of the authority that is this January 6th committee needs to go to jail. Guilty of contempt. Defense said it wasn't served properly. We don't know who signed this subpoena. Uh, Bannon thought, as a matter of fact, that the deadlines or the dates provided for in the subpoena were not hard deadlines because we were back and forth with the committee. And that was it. That's the extent of his defense because he didn't present a defense above and beyond attacking whether or not the Crown proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Under three hours of deliberation, guilty on both counts. They're going to come back in October for sentencing. There are two interesting things here. First of all, from what I understood from the reporting following John Hoggy and others who were at court covering it live, the judge, you will recall, dismissed yesterday the motion to acquit uh, Bannon, but did not render a decision on the motion to dismiss pursuant to the Rule 29 
of the federal court's procedure, uh, did not render a decision on that in advance of the jury verdict because the judge didn't want to influence the jury one way or the other. But had the judge acquitted, there's no influencing the jury. And by not rendering the decision, judge is basically saying, I'm going to reject it anyhow, but I don't want the jury thinking he's guilty because I dismissed his motion to dismiss. But the judge did not yet render a decision on that motion to dismiss. So in theory, it's still possible that the judge comes to the conclusion that he's going to grant the motion to dismiss, notwithstanding the jury verdict. It's happened before. Uh, We actually saw it happen, I believe, in Bian Rafikian. In the trial of Bian Rafikian, who was Michael Flynn's partner, uh, the, the judge tossed the conviction or granted the motion to dismiss, notwithstanding the fact that the jury already found Bian Rafikian guilty. And this related to Foreign Act Registration Act, Foreign Agent Registration Act charges, things which are complicated for even a lawyer to understand, let alone a jury who have no legal training for the most part. So it's conceivable that the judge is going to nonetheless dismiss the charges, notwithstanding the the verdict. I wouldn't bet on it. In fact, I would bet pretty much everything I have against it if I were a betting man on these types of things, which I'm not. But that's still up in the air. So we'll see. Uh, Bannon is now, say, free to go. He's going to have some conditions, I presume, pending coming back for sentencing in October. And the judge has asked for recommendations from the parties for sentencing uh, for the week before the hearing in October. Bearing in mind, everyone should appreciate this minimum uh, jail sentence of one month, maximum of one year per charge. And it's something like a $100 fine to a $100,000 fine. So in theory, if things go totally haywire above and beyond what I think is a compromised process, let's just say it goes haywire on a, um, uh, on a sanction, on a sentence, Bannon could be sentenced to two years in, in, in jail, in theory, if the judge orders the maximum sentence to be served consecutively, along with maximum $200,000 if the judge goes for the maximum sentence per uh per infraction here, because there were two counts of contempt. One was for failing to testify. The other was for failing to produce documents. I don't think it's going to get there. Uh, This is a misdemeanor charge. And what is probably going to happen is that the the, uh, Bannon's team is going to ask for, I'm going to mangle the exact terminology here, but basically deferral on um, going to jail pending an appeal, deferral on serving a sentence pending an appeal because this is a misdemeanor infraction. This is a misdemeanor crime. And if Bannon appeals, but by the time the appeal is heard, he's already done his time. Well, then there's no remedy that an appeal can bring. So what they'll probably do is suspend the sentence pending the appeal. And if Bannon wins on the appeal, he'll serve no time. And if he doesn't, then he'll serve whatever time the sentence uh, orders him to serve, you know, subject to time served already. And, and we'll see. So Probably will be a suspended sentence pending an appeal. The idea is very logical when it's going to take longer to hear the appeal than the sentence itself might be. It becomes moot if you've already served your time. But let's get to this subpoena because I don't think most people have actually seen the subpoena itself. This is where we're at in the law. Steve Bannon had his trial after all of his defenses were basically denied to him, convicted, it lasted five days, except it really only lasted one day because there were procedural. There was jury selection day one, 
but then a bunch of procedural arguments. There really was only one day of evidence presented by the crown, uh, the crown, that's my Canadian side talking, by the prosecution. And one of their two witnesses had his testimony struck. So all the evidence that was presented or ought to have been considered by the jury was the general counsel for the committee, Amerling, who effectively testified, we formed the committee, we issued the subpoena, he did not comply. Guilty, jury says guilty. But who has actually seen this subpoena? Have a look at the subpoena itself. It is redacted because this is a court filing and there's some private information in there that the world does not need to see. But subpoena, by authority of the House of Representatives of the Congress of the United States of America. Stephen K. Bannon, courtesy of Robert Costello, his attorneys who agreed to accept service in lieu of Bannon. You are hereby commanded to be and appear before the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol and to produce the things identified on the attached schedule. Then you have your date of production, October 7, 2021, and your place of testimony a week later, October 14, 2021. Okay, you got some signatures, redact stuff, proof of service. This shows proof of service that it was served, received, and signed for, in theory. There were some arguments as to whether or not it was properly served. Uh, there were some arguments as to who signed the subpoena. Procedural arguments that were obviously not retained by the, verdict, by the jury. Then you've got your letter to Bannon. This is from the House Select Committee or as Donald Trump referred to them, the House Unselect Committee of Political Thugs <laughs> out for a witch hunt. We don't need to read this. Let's go to the schedule. Look at this. People have to appreciate what was in this, the schedule of what Bannon is ordered to produce. In accordance with the attached definitions and instructions, you, Stephen K. Bannon, are hereby required to produce all documents and communications in your possession, custody, and control, including any such documents or communications stored or located on personal, yada, 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 referring or relating to, referring or relating to the following items. If no date range is specified below, the applicable dates are for the time period April 1, 2020 to present. Item one. The January 6, 2021 rally on the mall and Capitol grounds in Washington, D.C. in support of President Donald J. Trump and opposition to certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election, including any permitting, planning, objectives, financing and conduct, as well as any communications to or from any person or group involved in organizing or planning for the January 6, 2021 rally. Let's just get to some good ones here. Item four. Documents or other materials referring or relating to the financing or fundraising to assist any individual or organization's travel to or accommodation in Washington, D.C. to attend or participate in the January 6, 2021 rally. Item five, the War Room podcast, insofar as at any time you communicated through its statements referring or relating to efforts to contest the election results, including planning for the January 6, 2021 rally, including all statements concerning its planning objectives, purposes, organization, message, or sponsorship. The organization or group named, quote, March for Trump, end quote, item six, and its activities relating to the January 6, 2021 rally, including any communications you had with any officer or member of the March for Trump relating 
in any way to the planning, objectives, organization, message, sponsorship, message, and participation in the events of January 6, 2021. Your presence, item seven, purpose, statements, and activities at the meeting at the Willard Hotel on January 5, 2021, not even January 6, or the presence, purpose, and it goes on, people. Item 14, speaking to executive privilege, everyone. Any communication with any employees of President Trump's 2020 presidential campaign, the Republican National Committee, or any Trump administration personnel, including appointees, employees, and interns about any of the foregoing topics. Hey, why don't you just ask Steve Bannon to strip naked so that the committee can investigate every orifice of Steve Bannon's being? Because that's effectively what the subpoena was. And you're talking about executive privilege being denied as a defense when you've seen at least one item. Although you know darn well what they want is everything and anything. And they want it not only on Trump. They want it on every organization, its donors, its participants. They w- this is nothing more. This is nothing more than an absolute McCarthy-esque political witch hunt against Anyone who had anything to do with the events of January 6th. Now, imagine the effort that's going into the January 6th riot, protest gone bad, whatever you want to call it. Although even the FBI says scant evidence of any coordinated effort to carry out an insurrection. Although they've got their one charge of conspiracy for sedition against the Proud Boys. Compare the effort going into this versus the effort that went into the Summer of Love violent protests. Mostly fiery, but sorry, slightly fiery, but mostly peaceful protests. Just compare and contrast. Not only are they going after everyone and their grandmother for the events of January 6th, for what was by and large nonviolent trespass, picketing and parading, going after all of them right up to Steve Bannon with the fullest extent of the law, summer of love, they were actually fundraising bail for the people arrested for actual violent crimes. That's the subpoena. Procedural arguments aside, Steve Bannon didn't get Form 3, whatever it is, Form 3B. That's, you think that's going to stop a DC jury from convicting Bannon in under three hours? No. So now it's on to sentencing. Uh, we'll see if it's going to be uh, suspended, uh, suspended prison time pending the appeal, suspended sentence pending appeal. I suspect it will based on everything that I've surmised from the situation and based on the intelligence of the peoples whose minds I've picked on the subject. But that's it. Day five. Wrapped up. Conviction. Bannon's on his way. Back for sentencing in October. And if anyone thought this was going to go any other way, I don't think many people thought this was going to go any other way. So I guess, uh, you know, this is in line with being a right wing lawyer commentator. I got it right. Uh, And I've got to say, I'm not upset with the outcome. I'm disappointed with the process. With that said, I'll be back probably to cover the uh, sentencing when it happens. And if there's anything else in the meantime, I'll be live streaming about it on my channel, Viva Fry on YouTube and Rumble, talking about it this Sunday without fail with Robert Barnes, with whom I have an amazing channel on locals viva barneslaw.locals.com uh, but it has been a pleasure doing this for the post millennial and i think it's something we might repeat in the future so with that said people enjoy the summer we'll be back at the end of october for sentencing peace